Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Gospel and Father Brian Barr's homily from this past Sunday. As always, keep an eye out for our Q&A and discussion episodes. Until then, here's the Gospel from June 18, 2017, The Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus. So, uh, one of my nephews uh, just graduated from uh, Boston College uh, last month. His name is Austin. Last year, uh, he did a semester abroad uh, over in Ireland. He was in uh, Galway for a uh, semester. So I went over for a week um, to hang out with him. It was a great trip. Uh, I rented a car, uh, picked him up in Galway, and then we just, uh, well, we hung out in Galway for, I guess, a day or two. It's a great city. And then just kind of bounced around the west coast of Ireland, uh, different place, different bed and breakfast uh, every night. And uh, it was great. We didn't really have much of an agenda, just a basic sort of plan that was kind of like, Hey, wherever we go, we'll go. If we find a cool place, we want to stay here, we'll stay. Anyway, it was, uh, it was awesome. It was a great trip. It was great being with him. It was, uh, it was ridiculously beautiful scenery. The weather was actually pretty good, which was a plus. Anyway, uh, after that, I dropped him back in Galway, and I had another day. I wasn't flying out for, uh, till the next day. So... Uh, I figured, well, let me go explore a little bit more. So I got back in the car, and I went back along the coast, uh, kind of south of Galway, and uh, stopped into this pub around lunchtime, and uh, got, got something to drink, got something to eat, tiny little place, and uh, I'm sitting at the bar, and there's almost nobody there, and uh, start talking to the bar tender, it's a real old, real old Irish guy, and... Uh, you know, he just starts chatting. He says, so you here on uh, vacation? I said, well, yeah. I said, I'm talking about my nephew. Um, he asked me where I was from here in the States. I said, New York. Immediately he started rattling off places and people he knew in, in, uh, in the city, Woodside and Brooklyn. Anyway, so we're just kind of back and forth. And then he leaves for a bit and then he comes back and he says to me, so what do you do? Uh, I'm always a little hesitant to tell people, especially in a bar, because you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, 
But I, uh, I said, I said I'm a priest. So he's like, oh, you know, he kind of, kind of was interested, interested in that. He was sort of surprised. So we talk a little bit, little bit about that. He tells me a little bit about his parish. He was a church guy. Uh, and then he leaves for a minute or two, and he comes back to me, and he says, uh, are you in a rush? And I said, well, not really. I don't really even have a, no, not really. Uh, and he said, uh, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to take you someplace. Now I'm a little unsure. I'm thinking, okay, where are you going to take me? I don't even know what that meant. Um, but, I, you know, he was, I could tell I could, Nice guy, and I said. He said I'd. Uh, said I'd like to. He said I'd like to. I'd like you to see our mass rock. Our mass rock. And I didn't. I didn't know what he was talking about. I. I said. All right. Um, so I finish up my beer, and we get in the car. He. Some. I don't even know. I guess somebody else took over work at the bar because he left with me, and. Uh, we get in his car, and we uh, drive a little bit, and we stop at this other house. And this uh, other Irish guy, older than this guy, comes out. Uh, he gets in the car and says hello, and I kind of give him a hello back, and we start to move. We start driving, and uh, we probably go like maybe three or four miles out of town, like nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, this really remote area. I'm, I'm thinking... These two leprechauns are going to whack me over the head or something. And I'm going to be dead. Like, um, but it was, you know, they, again, they were very, I was really enjoying their company. They were really just charming old Irish guys. And uh, we parked the car. Again, now we're kind of nowhere. We get out, and these two guys say, come, come, come with me. Come follow us. So I'm kind of walking through the, this wooded area. They bring me ultimately to this uh, this big rock, this big boulder that's against this uh, kind of this like enclosed little uh, hill, I guess, very secluded. Uh, and there's a cross behind it. And then I looked a little further, and there was a plaque. So I'm I'm reading the plaque. And then the and then the the second guy who got in the car, he's I realized he was like the the resident historian, he started to then tell me what we were doing, like what this was, why we were there. And he explained to me that this is where they, the Irish would, would go for mass back in the uh, 17th and 18th century when the English made it illegal, essentially, to be Catholic. And uh, churches were closed, mass was forbidden, priests were arrested, so the Irish went underground. You know, they weren't going to be stopped by that. Um, so they would find these remote, middle-of-nowhere places, which was this place. And at night, they would gather. And they would celebrate Mass. The priests would come in undercover. So this rock was the altar. And this guy went on to explain kind of the risks that were taken by these people. If you were caught, there absolutely would be arrests. Land would be seized. Priests would be uh, imprisoned or, or executed. Like it was a big deal. 
It was a crazy risk. And this is where they celebrated the Eucharist 325 years ago. It wasn't impressive looking. In fact, you know, you, you would have missed it. Like you never wouldn't even... But I guess that was the point. They, want, they, didn't, you know, they weren't building a church. They didn't want anybody, they didn't want the British to know. And they pointed up to where, where it was situated. There were like these sort of, it was against this hill. And he pointed up to the top where he said they'd have guys would stand up top and watch, guard, to make sure that the English, weren't, English soldiers weren't approaching. They would keep guard while the mass was celebrated. I tell you, it was a very powerful place. I mean, I, I couldn't have paid to, I mean, you couldn't have found, this, this is in no tour guide book. Like, you wouldn't have been on a, on a bus and found this place. Like, this was like one of those, you sit in the pub and just what I, you know, like one person tells you one thing and they, they take you to this very real place. These guys were so proud of this place and what it represented. And then we got in the car and went back to the pub. So uh, it was just a great adventure. It was just a great hour or so I spent with these guys. And I remember him talking about the risks and the, the danger, the chances that these people took. They were willing to take in order to receive communion. And that's, that was the bottom line. It was like, we want to receive communion. It's all about the, it was, for them, it was, it was only and all about the Eucharist. And they took crazy risks in order to guarantee that they would receive. You know, it got me thinking, being at that place and seeing that place, it was like, it got me asking myself the question, like, how far would you go? How much would you risk in order to receive the Eucharist? How many, ch how many chances would you take? Why did these Irish peasants risk everything for the Eucharist? Well, I think the answer is kind of simple. And if, you can't just say it was a bunch of simple-minded Irish people who had simple faith. Yeah, that was probably true. But it's more than that. That's to, that's to write it off too simply. Why did these people risk the way they did, what they did? It's because of what Jesus talks about in this gospel. It's that simple. They simply believed what Jesus talked about in this gospel. What does he say in the gospel? I'll repeat part of it. I am the living bread from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Why risk your life? Why risk your, the little bit of property that maybe they had? Why risk imprisonment? at this mass rock because that's where Jesus was Jesus was at the mass rock 
Like, it's that simple. If I want Jesus, I've got to go to Him. And if there are obstacles and risks involved, how much do I need Him? How much do I need Him to be a part of my life? You know, Jesus, a lot of times, actually, in, in, this is uh, John's Gospel, and in John's Gospel, a lot of times he, he does these, what they call these I am uh, expressions, where he, he refers to himself as I am this, I am that, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, when he talked about the, uh, the sheep pen. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't speaking literally then, but that was sort of like, Metaphor. It was poetic language. He wasn't trying to be literal, and they didn't hear him literally. They were like, no, you're not a shepherd. You're a preacher. You're not a shepherd. You're a, you're a carpenter. He wasn't literally saying he was a shepherd. He was like, but he's on the gate. He was like, no, you're not. You're not, you're not a gate. You're a person. Obviously, they heard those words for what they were. I mean, they were true, but they were symbolic. Not these words. Not what he says in this gospel. This is not poetry. This isn't, these aren't lyrics to a song. It's not symbolism. And we know it because he keeps repeating it. It says the people were like, what? What is he talking about? Eating his body, drinking his blood. They, didn't, they, they were like, he... He can't be speaking literally. And he's like, yes, I am. He repeats it again and a third time. He wants them to know who he is and what they need. So come on, people. If, if these words are literally true, Jesus's, then I guess risking it makes sense. If you were in a situation where it was like, you're going to take a bit of a chance here in order to get to Mass, well, I'd be like, i got to get to Jesus. If I don't have Him, I'm lost. I mean, do we really believe that? And again, hey, I'm sitting in a crowded church. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But I think all of us have our moments when we kind of wonder and maybe we doubt. We're not completely sure. Think about this. Say somebody you knew, somebody you loved was sick, like really sick, and they needed some kind of a drug, some kind of a prescription. And if they didn't get it, they weren't going to make it. And for whatever reason, you couldn't really get easy access to this drug. You could get it, but it would be dangerous. Whatever you'd have to do to get it, would be scary and risky. But if they don't get it, they're dead. What are you doing? Like, of course you're risking it. You're risking everything for this person you love. Without this drug, there'll be, they will be no more. I think that's the way the Irish must have seen the Eucharist back in the 1650s. When they were hiding at night, 
to receive the Eucharist. It's like, we don't receive this. We have nothing. We're lost. What's the alternative? The alternative was slavery, essentially. I guess one of the questions is, do we approach the Eucharist with that level of intensity? I mean, I know I don't. I, I should. I need to more than I do. But I think we should challenge ourselves. How high a price would I pay in order to receive if someone or something tried to stop, tried to get in the way of us being here? I remember, I don't know, it was about 10 years ago having this conversation. I was speaking at a this is men's group, a uh, parish men's discussion group. Older retired guys. I think I mentioned this before. And uh, probably about 30 guys, once a month they'd get together in a restaurant and they'd have lunch, and they'd usually have a guest speaker. Anyway, I, I, they asked me to speak, and I remember before the, when I was having lunch, before I spoke, I was talking to the guy that organized it, and he was this World War II vet, very involved in his church, great guy. And I asked him a little bit about his experience in the war, and he was in the South Pacific, and he started to talk about it. And then he started to talk about the chaplain the Catholic chaplain, and how important he was. And he said very simply because he had the Eucharist. And he literally described being in uh, somewhere in the South Pacific, crawling through jungles, the jungle. And in the distance was the chaplain. And everybody's on their on. You know, it's very dangerous. It would have been a whole lot safer to stay where you were. But he said, we were scared. And we knew that Jesus was 50 yards away. And this old guy said, we crawled through gunfire to get to the Eucharist. I was like, oh my God. It was awesome to hear this guy speak. And he was just telling me, he wasn't trying to impress anybody. I knew he was exaggerating nothing. How do we see what we're about here? Do we see it as literally true as Jesus meant it? You know, when I was a kid, when we were growing up, we had a, I guess for about 10 years, uh, we had a, a little lake house up in uh, upstate, it's like kind of Port Jervis area. This little house my parents bought, bought and, uh, we grew up on the weekends, mostly. My two brothers and myself and my sister and my parents. My grandmother, usually. And uh, the church it was St. Mary's Church, actually, in Port Jervis. And it was about a half hour away from where it was the closest church. And on Saturday night, <clears throat> we'd get in the car and we would drive down there. And it was just like, come on. It was like the last thing any of us wanted to do. Was to be going, you know, we were down at the lake, we were fishing, we were. But we never missed it. Like, we never missed it. I am so grateful for what my parents gave us. I wasn't thanking them then. I was in the back seat of the car with an attitude. But I'm telling you, if it wasn't for that, 
I'm not standing here today. If it wasn't for their example, if it wasn't for their witness, for their faith. Yeah, and is that as dramatic as people standing around that mass rock looking out for British soldiers? No. And it was, was it risky like that World War II vet? Of course not. But you know what I think my parents would have done if they had to? They would have risked it. They would have taken those chances. Their faith was and is that authentic. And when you witness that, it's easier to believe. You know, we have this 6.30 on Sunday night. Some of you are at it. We're actually making a change in September. Um, and people probably, some people won't be too thrilled with this. We're going to actually move it. We're going to move it down to St. Ignatius. Because it's a bigger church. And we want, we, right now, we have only the 8th graders who come to it. We're like, nah, this is just... This is not just for 8th graders. If the words he said in this gospel are true, we have got to get every kid we can get our hands on at that Mass. Because the scary reality is, the troubling reality is, most of their parents aren't taking them. Like, that's the elephant in the room. They're just not. I guess they're not believing these words. I guess they believe these words were poetry. Well, they're not. This is no poem. This was Jesus speaking from the gut. And what we're going to do is we're going to take it, and it's going to be the 630. We're going to make it 6 o'clock, and it's going to be just, we're going to like lift it up, and we're going to move it west. Same music, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I'll have it most of the time. Completely going to have it kind of focus on the kids, young people. And I'm like, ah, I kind of almost don't even want to. I love the mass up here. I love that it's crowded. And... But it's like, you know what? There's more at stake than my comfort level. It's the souls of these kids that I'm becoming increasingly troubled by because they're just not encountering Christ. So I need you guys to support it. I need you to back it. If you go to the 6.30, you got to come down to the 6.00. Because we've got to pack out that church. Probably won't happen in September, but it'll happen if people of good faith show up. You know, I talked a couple of weeks ago here about the Eucharist and prayer. I guess it was really more about prayer and how we pray. You know, we're here, and hey, that's more than practically anybody. But even to be challenged when we're here, while we're here. cell phones like God like no cell phones no cell phones before mass like don't even bring them in if you got them with you man turn them off say the prayer that's needed after communion you guys in the back if you're able to like kneel down after communion take a knee and I know I'm starting to sound like I'm beating this drum a lot I am I know I am because we're in trouble we're taking on water Look at the people you know now who used to go to church and just don't anymore. Ten years ago, people on your block who used to go to church, now they don't. Something's happening. And we got to confront it. 
Sort of like those Irish people did 300 years ago. We've got to be people of faith. And we've got to set the example. Set the example. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, keep an eye out for our discussion and our Q&A episodes. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back next week, and until then, God bless.